So, question for the audience and question for you, Joker. What's If you could obtain the abilities with a few, you know, caveats and extra abilities that aren't necessarily known for them, from any animal, but you have to also take on slightly its horrific physical features, which one would you take? I, I think I'd go with, like, an octopus. You know, being able to kind of have a little bit of regeneration would be kind of nice. Be a little weird uh, just walking around with a beak on your face, though. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to lie. That would be. Uh, I'd totally be a villain while doing this. <laughs> but just having that regeneration, being able to climb up stuff. Yeah, because you And have potentially the- if, you, if you get, like, some of the other abilities, like, to be able, if I can get my head through it, the rest of my body will go through. That would be awesome. Exactly. Because I can get into a lot of trouble with that. It's actually some good picks. Um, huh. What about you? I almost want to go with that one. <laughs> God dang it, Joker. You're throwing me for loops with these good explanations. Uh, I guess if I don't go with that one, um, similar vein on being able to squeeze into areas and get through areas, uh, Weasel. I mean, you are a weasel. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> so, folks, uh, that's going to bring us into this week's character. If you like the episode, give us a like, share, follow, and maybe even introduce it to some friends. So, this week's character, Morbius, the living vampire from the Marvel series. Okay, let's get into real world. Okay, right, so Morbius debuted in The Amazing Spider-Man, issue number 101, uh, cover dated October 1971. Following the February 1971 updating of the Comic Book Code Industry Self-Censorship Board, the Comics Code Authority that lifted a ban on vampires and certain other supernatural characters. So what's interesting about that is um, when they were first kind of... I, I, I've heard rumor and like through some talks like when they were first pitching this character, the reason he's called the living vampire and they went the route they did... Was because the comics code yep. wasn't wasn't lifted yet. Because the comics code weirdly had a ban on vampires and zombies. Because they're like, we can't have any undead ki- things in comics. Amongst other things, because we did briefly talk about this when we talked about uh, Vision. Vision and because uh, it, it came up with him and Wanda. Yep, having and to get then married. We talked a little bit about the whole vampire and supernatural beings. Yep. So like, this is a big character that that had to do a lot with like why they went with the story they went with with him. Now, if I remember correctly, he was also like one of the first big ones to come after the change in the Comic Code Authority. Yep, I'm I'm pretty sure you're correct on that. Okay. So it was in the first issue of Marvel Comics' flagship Spider-Man series written by someone other than the character co-creator and editor-in-chief Stan Lee. Which kind of blew my mind. <laughs> which, yeah, no, that is kind of mind-blowing. Like, he had no influence on it all. I honestly am also shocked that uh, Jack Kirby had no right. to do with it. Like, when I was doing the research, I'm like, this can't be right. Jack Kirby's sitting here somewhere. Nope. <laughs> so that's, um, I mean, that... I mean, it shows because, like, was it? It came out in 1971. I guess at that point, yeah, they would have been high enough up that they're not really, they're not doing the nitty They're more delegating. Yeah. Things. So that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> Lee was busy writing a screenplay for an unproduced movie and bequeathed the series to his right hand editor, Roy Thomas. 
Okay. Well, um, that's a good way, good reason way to know why he did it and why he wasn't involved. Oh yeah, and because he's busy doing something else. Yep, busy doing something else, but definitely like gave it to one of his number ones, Matt, which is smart generally when you, uh, especially considering they were going to bring into the Spider-Man thing. Yep. He needed somebody he could trust. So, Thomas had said in 2009 that uh, we were talking about doing Dracula, but Stan wanted a costume villain. Other than that, he didn't specify what we should do. And he would add the part that the character conception came from an unspecified science fiction film of Thomas's youth, depicting a man turned into a vampire by radiation rather than magic. Which is kind of cool that it was something a little different for the genre of vampires. It was, and arguably, like... Cause it, if we're being honest, like outside of the comic book community, Morbius really isn't that well known or a big character unless you watched the 1990s cartoon Spider-Man. Yep. But honestly, he was a huge drastic change to that genre with how he gets his powers. Oh yeah, which is definitely a nice touch to it. Really was. And we like like we always do, we will get into that when we go into universe. So Thomas said that the name Morbius was not deliberately taken from the antagonist Dr. Morbius in the movie Forbidden Planet. Danger, danger, destroy humans. Uh. <laughs> we should watch that someday. <laughs> but, um, I mean, still, like, I, I know he probably didn't directly take it, but given, like, the era and the age he is and that, I doubt, yeah. I don't doubt that was an influence. Oh, definitely. I mean... Especially at that time period, pretty much anything comics-wise had an influence from somewhere else. I mean, that, like, if we're being honest, that's just art. <laughs> yep. No art is truly at its core original. <laughs> Especially nowadays. Oh, yeah. So, Thomas and Penciler co-creator Gil Kane would create the character as a man who who was given pseudo-vampiric abilities and traits via scientific, uh, scientific rather than supernatural means. Kane would base the character's look on that of actor Jack Palance. I think Which I pronounced that right. I looked I looked up his face and I can kind of see it. He was um he mostly played a lot of villains back in the black and white era. Okay. And that which also so kind of fit the, the era of the the comic. Yep. He was a big black and white actor who uh yeah, definitely played a lot of like villainous and like, you know, powerful roles, so kind of fits with what they were going with. That's good. That's so uh yeah, so Morbius so Morbius collided with Spider-Man in Marvel Team-Up issues number three through four, July, September of 1972, and the one-shot issue Giant Size Superheroes issue number one in June 1974. So, uh, not a bad start. Yeah, no. Honestly, like getting into at least three comics there in a two-year span, not really that bad for a new character. Well, that, and that's just him colliding with Spider-Man. True. So, I mean, I'm sure he had others of his own issue, maybe not as many, but this is just the ones where he was specific in, in a comic with Spider-Man. Within two years, three two years, three comics, that's not bad. Especially when he kind of becomes synonymous with, like, the Spider-Man cartoon. You know, the best way to really know about him. True. Like, because honestly, that's how I found out about him as a kid. That's the only time I've ever seen him. Yeah, because otherwise I would, uh, maybe if I read more Blade comics, I would have known about him. Right. So Morbius would go on to star in Vampire Tales, a black and white horror comics uh, magazine published by Marvel's sister company, Curtis Magazines, appearing in all but two of the mature audience titles, 11 issues, from August of 73 to June of 75. 
All but the first and last of these were written by Doug McGregor and penciled by Rich Buckler and Tom Sutton primarily. Which, that's actually, that's not a bad start to a run. Yeah, no, definitely not. That definitely gets him. And it, it kills me, like, when I do talk to people outside of the comic book community who don't know about characters like this, and they're like, is he even a big character? I'm like, in the community, yes, but right. I get why you don't know who he is. It's like, unless you're a comic nerd, no, obviously he's not going to be. Yeah. But he really is when you get into the nitty-gritty of the the fandom exactly and because like yeah no he especially as a spider-man fan yeah he has a lot of interactions with some heroes right uh, so no no that's a good run and uh definitely a interesting introduction into the horror comics genre and publishing uh considering what we will be explaining as his origins yeah so after his first two Vampire Tales stories, Morbius concurrently became the star of his own feature in Marvel's bi-monthly adventures into fear anthology series, beginning with issue number 20 in February 1974 and continuing through issue 31, December 1975. So still not a bad run, like... As far as right. some characters we've dealt with in the past, he's at least still like getting decent chunks. Yeah, and like he, he's staying fairly active com- compared to yeah some of the people we've had in the past. Yeah, where it's like where it's like why is this character a big name? They've been in like three things. Kind of like uh, when we did Vampirella. Yeah, someone who's still predominant but shouldn't be. <laughs> right. Okay. So these were written successfully by Mike uh, Frederick Steve Gerber who had written the first Morbius solo story uh, in Vampire Tales number one, and then Doug Munich and Bill Matlow uh, working with. with a wide variety of pencilers. Yeah, I'm sure I butchered at least three of those names, and uh, I apologize, <laughs> but I did my best. Yeah, I don't doubt it. We do that a lot here. But um, it is nice to see uh, It's nice to see one of the original creators still like, huh? Being, being active, yeah. Anytime they like they bring that up in later issues where they're like the original creator was still involved, I it makes me feel happier and it also makes me trust the comic more. Oh yeah, definitely. The uh following following sporadic guest appearances through the next sixteen years, Morbius was revived in nineteen ninety two series Morbius the Living Vampire. Launched as part of the rise of the Midnight Suns crossover story arc in Marvel's Supernatural slash horror comics. It ran for 32 issues, September 1992 to April 1995. Like, dang it. Yeah, like, for a character who isn't really well known outside the comics, this guy has a lot of, like, run And that was, that was a big run, too. For 32 se- comics? Yeah, that's a lot of comics. Like, that's an impressive run. That really is. So, like, it... Like, this is a character now that I'm thinking about. I'm like, mm, next time we go to a comic book shop, I might be looking for some of his. <laughs> oh, heck yeah. Uh, later on, a one-shot special issue, tentatively titled Spider-Man slash Venom slash Morbius by writer Morbius writer Len Kimnitsky, uh, was scheduled for 1993 but never was published due to the writer's departure from the series out of disgust with Morbius penciler Ron Wagner. Kind of makes you wonder what happened there. Honestly, I tried to kind of look into it, and they just, like, kind of, like, possibly just different ideas. But, like, to say that he was disgusted, I'm like, something else. Yeah, it was a little bit deeper, I think, than just a difference in ideals. Yeah, like, they, like, because that was what, 
the rest of it really kind of said about it. Like they had a different opinion about the, where the story was going. I'm like, I don't think disgust describes that. Right. There's more that you just don't want us to know about. Yeah. And I didn't really see anything else that really elaborated on their actual issue, which it's just disappointing that like comic book writers, there isn't just like more like info on them. Like there is celebrities who have falling outs and like, films. right. I'm like, I would like to know this drama. Oh, heck yeah. Because I may not like being part of drama, but I love hearing it. <laughs> okay, so uh, that's kind of all we really got for um, for Morbius's origins in the real world and kind of brings us closer to up to date. Now, let's go in-universe. Dun-dun-dun. Okay, so in-universe, early life. Michael Morbius was born and raised in Neph. Nafplio, Greece. I apologize to anybody from that region. <laughs> the son of uh, Makari Makari Makarioa Makarioa. That's what we're going with. Yep. Um, Makarioa Morbius. Uh, Michael was raised by a single mother after his father left them. Arguably, to get off the bat. Not the worst origin story of a, of a parent. Right? I mean, they're alive at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> Your dad didn't die. He just didn't want you. Which, sadly, is still the least horrible way to become a character in comics. Oh, yeah. Anybody who's curious, go back, watch our other episodes. There are way worse ways w- with your parents. Uh So Michael would experience an isolated childhood due to his rare blood condition, and despite his disease, he was intellectually gifted and spent a lot of his time reading books. Which, given, uh, because he does, uh, do I explain it later what his disease is? I don't think so. Okay, so he does have a rare blood condition. Basically, the equivalent would be something like hemophilia. And that, I had no idea. Like, like a blood clotting disease and that. like it, That's the equivalent from what I could gather. Um, so, yeah, that wouldn't be something that you could really run around outside and play in that because you scrape your knee, you're dead. That's probably an over-exaggeration, but you get what I'm saying. Just a little bit, but he gets the point across. Yeah. So Michael had two best friends, Emily uh, Emil Nikos and his sister Liza Nikos. The three of them were as close as family, but complications arose when he professed his feelings to Liza and she rejected him. As always, that makes for an awkward play date. (laughs) Oh, yeah, especially when you're that close to somebody. Like, I get it, but you shouldn't profess any kind of feelings with a group that close. Like, that is just, that is going to split it up and, like, ruin it. It always kind of does in that, which, uh, arguably, he's lucky that it didn't really fracture his uh, relationship with uh, Emil. And that's, Thank God. Like, yeah, so that's good. But, like, yeah, that's always a rough. Yeah, rough that, that is one of those, like, do you really want to risk losing all of that? Roll for charisma. That <laughs> <laughs> one. So while in college, Michael and Emil would become brilliant scientists, winning a Nobel Prize for their work in biochemistry. So, yeah, it definitely just pushes the the earlier statement of him being brilliant. Oh, yeah. Which, I mean, if you're reading books all day and stuff and that, like, you even as they say in the South, God don't give two left hands. 
So they attempted to cure the blood disease and develop an experimental treatment involving vampire bats and electroshocks. Its side effects turned him into a pseudo vampire who needed to consume blood in order to survive. I feel like the fact that they were stupid enough to include vampire bats. What did they think was going to happen? Right. I almost feel like Emil may have done that on purpose. Possibly. Like, uh, cause I know they go into more detail in the comics and even in the cartoons where they explain like whatever disease this is, he has like, it's been proven like in the vampire bats, they have some way of combating it. Even if they get it. Yeah. And that's, that's why they picked vampire bat. Like they definitely put in the like whole MacGuffin. Like this is why we had to go with this right. horrible idea. <laughs> Does not does not save the story. Mm, no. <laughs> Which uh, let, let's finish up this section. We'll... So his overall appearance would change as well. He would gain fa- gain fangs. His nose flattened to appear more bat like, and his skin would become extremely pale. Because you know it's turning him into a vampire, right? What else do you expect? <laughs> like I will say, out of all the vampires, though, like. I do feel bad for him because he could never really in like integrate or spy on a vampire clan because most vampires in this world still kind of look human. I was like, most of them in Marvel are very human-like. Yeah. So like, you'd be like, what's up, fellow blood suckers? And they're like, who's this guy? Right. <laughs> so additionally, the victims of his bite would turn into living vampires themselves. When he, when he first apprent, uh, ah, when he first appeared, uh, when he first experienced the change. Thank you. God dang it, my brain could not get around that. Uh, when he first experienced the change, he killed Emil as he could not control his bloodlust. When Lizza learned about of what happened to her brother, she swore revenge against Morbius, as always. <laughs> yeah, but we um. That's just for the par at this point. Exactly. And arguably kind of a little sad thing, like, with him killing his best friend, though. Yeah. That that definitely is uh, heartbreaking. Right? Because, like, from what I can tell every, like, in the Morbius stuff and that, he is that sympathetic villain in that when he is a villain, where it's like he is not intentionally doing this. It is literally. And, yeah, when you first get turned, you're going to have that bloodlust and you're not going to know what to do. Exactly. So that's that's kind of sad. So meeting Spider-Man. So Morbius would travel to the U.S. by a ship, and in his bloodthirst would slaughter the crew. Because, you know, vampires, bloodlust, that's never a good mix. Yeah, no, that is not. You got to wonder, after he killed his friend and then, like, was going on this boat, maybe think, like, Maybe I should grab some blood baggies. <laughs> you would think, but clearly he did not have that thought. Right? Like, And I guess he just hoped he wouldn't need to worry about it until he got to the U.S. You know, for I always love how all the smartest characters have an intelligence of 10, but like a wisdom score of negative 10. Right. I mean, did he really think the ship would get there quick enough? And what do you think was going to happen when we got to the U.S.? Yeah. Like, like he'd get, go on a murder spree there. Yeah, because even if he made it all the way, he's like, thank God. I was able to keep my animal instincts under control. Second, he steps off that boat and sees a human. He's oh yeah, he's and he's gonna go to the next one and the next one. He's gonna slaughter a small town. Oh yeah, he's gonna be real hungry after that ship ride. Okay, uh, 
So he tried to kill himself, but failed and took a room at a beach house where he encountered Spider-Man, who was at the time trying to reverse the process that had given him six arms. Morbius attacked Spider-Man, but their battle was interrupted by Dr. Connors, who transformed into the lizard. Yeah, this uh, can get convoluted uh, with the Morbius story in Spider-Man because it's when Spider-Man's starting to lose control of his own mutation. Yeah. And uh, turn into basically a giant arachnid. <laughs> turn into literally a Spider-Man. Yep. <laughs> and it gets pretty terrifying in that story arc. <laughs> I've seen some bits of that. Yeah, that was uh, a little iffy. That <laughs> was a dark one. <laughs> so Morbius would escape, but not before... before- before biting Connors, who uh, partially returned him to normal, uh, Spider-Man and Connors realized that Morbius's blood could cure, could be a cure for both of them, and decided to help each other. They would track down Morbius, and after another battle, extract some of his blood, causing Connors to remain in his human state and Spider-Man to lose his additional arms. Hmm. Kind of interesting that that's how they got fixed. Kind of is. Uh. I mean, I guess, you know, the healing properties of vampire blood. <laughs> I, that's what we're going with. I mean, also, you know, like he, it was a, he was made of science. I, th- this one, like if there are any science experts that care to elaborate on this, I, we are, ears are open. Right. Okay. So, um, barring that encounter, he also encountered the human torch. So Morbius was washed ashore and found by Jefferson and Jacob Baltz on whom he tried to feed after being revived. He turned Jefferson into a vampire. Meanwhile, Morbius's fiance, Martin Bancroft, tried contacting the Fantastic Four to help Morbius. The Human Torch sought out Morbius' former colleague, Hans Jorgensen, and joined forces with Spider-Man during another battle with Morbius. During the fight, Morbius accidentally killed Jefferson Bolt and fled. Which is real disappointing because Jefferson Bolt arguably is one of the few people who would have had a major insight on how to reverse all of this. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, Morbius, you just keep keep setting yourself back. I feel like some of it is just out of instinct of he's getting put in these fight or flight situations. It Unfortunately, uh, especially like... I. I remember in the Spider-Man comics and even in the Spider-Man cartoon, a lot of the, a lot of Morbius is like attacking or being like being a villain isn't out of malice. Yeah. It is out of like animal instinct and just like needing to feed and being trapped and feeling cornered. Exactly. And unfortunately that does not mix well. It does not. And it can make people view you as a villain, unfortunately. Yep. So along with the Fantastic Four and... Uh, the Human Torch, he would also come across the X-Men. So when news of Jorgensen's supposed kidnapping by Spider-Man would reach Professor X, an old colleague of Jorgensen, he would send the X-Men to track down Spider-Man. When they discovered that Morbius was truly to blame, he would send the mutants to capture him instead. After a lengthy battle, the X-Men would manage to defeat Morbius and rescue Jorgensen. Jorgensen was able to cure Spider-Man, who thanked the X-Men before leaving them to deal with Dr. Morbius. Okay, nice. Which um, I remember, um, because I never read these comic arcs, but I will say from the comics I have read, the 1990 Spider-Man is probably one of the more accurate ones to the comics. I do know at one point, that's why Spider-Man went to Professor X, because of his knowledge on mutation, he would be one of the best people to be able to cure it. So any, any colleagues of Professor X would arguably also be majorly 
influential on being able to reverse like mutations and stuff. Which would make sense. And yeah, it would make sense why Morbius kidnapped him. Yep. So, uh, so we, oh, temporary cure. Yeah, this was a little later down the, the line. So it's a bit after what we've just talked about. But I just thought it was something interesting to throw in. No, fair, fair. Let's go into it. Because I, I clearly skipped that in my... Because <laughs> I tried to... Because, folks, we mostly just do the origins and that. Yep. Like, and that. But sometimes, on occasion, we will pull up a like later on thing where we're like, this is interesting. Yeah, this is like almost halfway down the page from the X-Men section okay so let's get into it so temporary cure driven mad by his bloodlust morbius battled spider-man again but was restored to his human form when he was hit by a freak bolt of lightning he remained human for some years assisting both spider-woman and the west coast avengers at various times but his vampiric condition eventually returned talk about an ex machina right (laughs) but i do like that it kind of shows that him as a person would be a hero yeah. if he could control his own as animalistic nature. And they have shown like, that's why he ended up uh, joining. Uh, like when we were talking about his real world, um, the uh, like demon sons or whatever. And that, that was like more of a group ran by, um, by like ghost rider and like punisher and like more blade and that like the actual, like actual like demon hunter people. Yeah. So he did join them. Like he has shown that he wants to be good. And that it yeah. is like you said, that just, he just has to control his nature and yeah. his urges, which can be difficult in that scenario. And arguably blade would probably actually be one of the best people to help him with that. Oh yeah, definitely. Especially because you know, blade all blades like shit, trying to control his own nature. Yep. <laughs> Okay, so that's uh, that's kind of it for uh, in-universe uh, origin stories and a little fun fact afterwards. Let's get into powers and abilities. Powers and abilities, folks. Uh, so, pseudo-vampirism. Morbius has been transformed into a being similar to a vampire and as a result possesses a number of superhuman abilities similar to those possessed by true vampires. Morbius is not a true vampire as the source of his transformation is scientific, not mystical. However, mystical elements have occasionally been introduced into his system and complicating the issue. (laughs) So yeah, it definitely kind of helps as we talk about his powers throughout this section, knowing that it's not a true vampire. Yeah. Because it kind of, he doesn't get a lot of the same weaknesses necessarily. But he also doesn't have a lot of the same advantages. Exactly. And that's so he kind of gets the middle ground. Yeah. Like, which would make him like not worse than a vampire, but also not better. Yep. So let's get into uh, more into it. So superhuman strength. Morbius possesses superhuman strength, ex- uh, the extent of which depends on the amount of blood he has ingested and the type of blood. The type of blood's a unique add-on there. Yeah, definitely. That was kind of interesting to see. Yeah, because the amount, generally most vampires, that's a thing. Like, if they yeah. drain a bunch of humans, they can be, like, Hulk-like. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, like, the type, that's an interesting thing. So at his peak, Morbius possesses sufficient superhuman strength to lift approximately 1,500 pounds. Which ain't bad. Which, yeah, that's that's nothing to scoff at. Whew. So, because uh, normally I love, I, I'll add in, like, if they have actual stats set on here, but all these other ones don't really have any feats that they offered. So we're just going to speed through them. We got super speed, super stamina, super agility, super reflexes, 
fangs and claws. This was a unique thing. The the claws can uh, can um, extend and retract. Yep. So just kind of a little unique unique thing on there. He has he's virtually in more uh, immortal. He's more just made the claim. Nobody's really tested it. Yeah, it's like nobody's proved it yet. Yeah. Whether he, he can die. And theoretically, at this point, he hasn't aged, so he's gunning on that. But, you know, like. So it may be one of those where he won't die of natural, like, aging and causes, but yeah. it has to be, like, that outside force. Possibly. Or he could just literally, like, reach 90 and just kill over, and they're like, wow. He did right. not age at all. Like, it must have all been internal aging. <laughs> So, uh, okay, he's also a genius, which we did discuss early on in his uh, life. And he's also good at hand-to-hand combat. It did state, like, he is not formally trained in any styles, but because of his vampiric powers and, like, strength, it does give him an advantage in hand-to-hand. Yeah, but at least lets him stand on par with some of the more skilled and trained. Yeah. And that, like, yeah, like, they did make make a note of that. Like, hey, by the way, no actual skill. He's just super strong. Yep. Okay, so we have uh, superhuman acute senses. Morbius' senses of sight and smell are enhanced to levels well beyond that of normal humans. Morbius is able to detect objects with perfect clarity as much greater dis- at much greater distances than a normal human. He retains this clarity even in near total darkness. He is also able to see into the infrared end of the uh, electromagnetic spectrum allowing him to see individuals at night by their body heat his sense of smell is similarly enhanced able to detect scent of blood in the air from miles away so he's basically like a flying land shark pretty much yeah which is horrifying (laughs) right but i do like that he's got essentially the infrared goggles without having to have goggles oh right that's kind of a unique feature that is really cool i like that one i was shocked they didn't play more on his ability to hear like you know bat sonar yeah that's so i was shocked they didn't really go on to that but let's uh continuing uh psionic gliding Through mental concentration, Morbius is able to glide through the air over short distances. However, Morbius can only glide at speeds uh, of about 35 miles an hour, which is still pretty impressive. That's faster than I can run, man. I I like how they like only glide at 35 miles an hour. It's like, "Mm, that's faster than the school zone. Right? Like, I get it. He's he's no Superman in that, but I'm just saying. He's faster than your average person. He's going to, he's slightly slower than Hussein Bolt. Hussein Bolt's the only one getting away, is what oh, I'm yeah. saying. I'm dead. Joker's dead. Hussein Bolt made it to the next Olympics. Right. Okay, so he has regenerative healing factor. Like true vampires, Morbius possesses an accelerated healing factor that enables him to rapidly regenerate damaged body tissues, much faster and more extensively than a normal human. Though highly developed, Morbius's healing powers aren't sufficient to regenerate mis- missing limbs or organs, which right there does differentiate him from a lot of the vampires. Yep. Who straight up, yeah, you could rip their arm off, next day it's starting to grow back. Exactly. So it's definitely good, and hopefully he knows that that uh, distinction. Right? Hopefully he didn't <laughs> have to find that out on... Uh... <laughs> through a personal experience? Right. Like just maybe, the next... maybe he learned it through one of his uh, thralls. Actually, that would be a way to learn it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just next day looking at the thrall like, so that arm's just not coming back. Okay. This is gone know. now. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, mesmerism. 
Ooh. After absorbing elements of Lilin into his bloodstream, Morbius gained the ability to hypnotize others if they looked directly into his eyes long enough. So that, like, I do like the distinction that that wasn't just part of his original power set. Yeah. He had to gain it through ingesting somebody else's DNA. Yeah. So instead of being like, you know, your typical vampire who can just naturally do it. Yeah. He's I don't know if he did it on purpose or if it just kind of happened during an event. I almost feel it probably happened during an event just because, like, I don't know if he even knew if he could, like, obtain. Because that is another vampire feature where they can kind of obtain certain abilities yep. through sucking blood. So I feel like he just, like, got that. He's like, oh, I can oh, do this now. This game changer. <laughs> okay, so vampire creation. Like true vampires, Morbius is able to transform individuals into pseudo-vampires like himself by draining them of all their blood. That sounds terrible. <laughs> like I knew that you were able to turn va- people into vampires like you, but I didn't know it was by draining all of their blood. Which definitely borders on a lot of myths of actual vampires. Which makes sense. Yeah, and arguably the whole myth of how it turns in that varies drastically from writer to writer and lore to lore. I can see it. Okay, so immunity to most vampi- vampire vulnerabilities. As Morbius is a, isn't a supernatural vampire, he is immune to all of the special mystical vulnerabilities that they have. He is unaffected if confronted with religious icons like crucifixes and will not incinerate if exposed to direct sunlight. Morbius does tend to rest the hours of the day, but does not have any of the consequences of vampirism that supernatural vampires face during daylight hours. Morbius also has no special vulnerability to objects or weapons composed of silver or wooden stakes driven through his heart. Which, I mean, that's a major bonus. Oh, yeah. Just not like having that giant list of things that you're immune to compared to like all your true vampire brothers. Like, you have a huge one up on them. Oh, yeah. Which explains why he would work it with Blade sometimes because, yeah. like, Blade likes to hunt vampires in the daytime, and Morbius is the perfect partner for that. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it does also make him, I feel as though, his lack of powers, I feel as though it makes him weak to vampires if he goes at them at night. Oh, like, definitely. Say Dracula with his magic. Mm, sorry, Morbius. You yeah, ain't. He, he definitely has to be smart about what he does and how he does it. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into weaknesses now. Uh, Hunger. The only true weakness Morbius has that supernatural vampires possess is that he must ingest ingest fresh blood several times a week in order to maintain his physical and mental vitality. The longer he goes without blood, the weaker he becomes and the more likely he is to lose control, which kind of makes sense. Oh, yeah, definitely. That, uh, sunlight. While he can't be killed by sunlight, his eyes and skin are sensitive to exposure to sunlight, which makes sense if your eyes are like his mutated to be designed yep. to see at night. Not going to be. <laughs> and then his skin is so pale, and I'm sure it's got some other stuff going on with it being a vampire. So, but I mean, it's you nice know. nice that he doesn't just explode. So, like, minus the hair, he's basically what we're saying is he's a ginger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, we found your character, Joker. <laughs> okay, he's also uh, one of his weaknesses, mental instability. Morbius has suffered through suicidal ide- ideations of multiple occasions, desiring to end his on, on life, 
when unable to cure himself of his condition. He has also been shown to suffer through visual and auditory hallucinations representing his hunger when he goes without feeding. That makes sense. Like, yeah, you get him in the right state and he's not going to be on par. Oh, yeah, definitely. But I do like that they kind of address that, too. Yeah, that was Instead of him just going nuts and devouring everybody in sight. It's like, no, he's just going to have some hallucinations and go nuts. Yeah, which, you know, makes sense. It's kind of like if you starved a person that, you're going to hallucinate a little. Right. Okay, and that's it for Powers and Weaknesses, folks. So, into his very uh, short other media section. And TV, he would appear in both the Spider-Man, the animated series, and Ultimate Spider-Man versus the Sinister Six. Yeah. Uh, he would make in film a uh, cameo appearance in the 98 Blade deleted scene and obviously has, has appeared in the self-titled movie starring Jared Leto that released uh, back on April 1st. Huh. Didn't know there was a deleted scene in Blade with him. Yep. Well, you know, it's a deleted scene, so. Yeah, okay. Well, unless I... you get, like, those old DVDs that had them as a feature, you'd, you'd never really know about half the deleted scenes in movies. Unfortunately. And then, so, for his video games, he actually had a lot on the Wikipedia. Really? But most of them said citation needed. So, I don't know for sure if he actually appeared in them, so I didn't include them. Fair. So, the ones that we know he was included in is the Lego Marvel Superheroes 2 and Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, The Black Order. Still need um, to get that game. Yeah. <laughs> And his alias and past background as Morgan Michaels is used for an African-American character depicted in Marvel Spider-Man, voiced by Phil Morris. It okay, was, that's uh, kind of an interesting one. It was kind of cool. I get, I didn't put it in here, but he was basically a doctor under uh, in Oscorp. Oh, okay. That was kind of the lead in that part of the game. That's an interesting thing. I would like to go, cycle back to the TV appearances, especially in the 1990s Spider-Man. So here's a weird thing about his character in there. They didn't want them to show him sucking anybody's blood or biting into anybody's neck for That's blood. That's fair. Instead, they went way worse. Because <laughs> they're like, we still need to show him, like, like In- ingesting blood. Ingesting it. Ingesting. So they gave him suckers on his hand. Oh, I remember A bunch that. of suckers. And they're like, we're going to say, have him say, I need to d- drain your plasma. And that as they pulsate at you at the screen as he moves his hands. Yeah, that is so much worse. I'd rather if I had a child and that or even my nieces and nephews, let's take them. I'd rather sit there with them in my lap and make them watch a vampire feast on a neck than ever make them watch that. Yeah, that is uh, very, very terrifying. <laughs> yeah, they said they're like, what about this? And the, and the producers are like, brilliant. Love it. Put it in there. That's not going to traumatize any people. Right. So just wanted to cycle back and bring that up, because that messed me up a little. Makes sense. Okay. But, uh, yeah, no, folks, uh, that's uh, that's all we got for Morbius. So uh, question, question as always, Joker, you a fan? For what little I know of him, I'd say yes. I don't know a lot based on what we just went over. I mean, he's, he's an interesting character. And he's a character I've encountered uh, kind of – because I like Spider-Man and like yeah. other characters, I've I've seen him throughout comics and cartoons. I've always enjoyed his character, and that's so. You know what? I'm a fan too. For anyone that's still listening, if you got something out of this, enjoyed the episode, or even liked the character before from a movie, comic, cartoon, hell, even that T-shirt that you saw one time, 
you're a fan too. If you want to jump on this train, why not subscribe and share with a friend? Dick Rail out. Y'all keep riding them rails.